If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to the book of Luke. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, there's some on the back table there, and I'm sure um, Ken or someone would be happy to get you one. So if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and, and Ken will get you one. But we're in the book of Luke, chapter 19. Uh, Luke 19, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 10 with the story of, of Zacchaeus, which maybe you know. And if not, you'll learn it this morning. Um, yesterday, my family and I went to a, a maple syrup festival in, in Indiana. It was cold and snowy and muddy. Um, but we, we went there and we had a good time. We ended up buying our syrup first. Usually I'd wait and buy it when I'm leaving, but they said that you got to get it because there's not much. The, the weather has not been conducive to syrup making as far as how the temperatures goes. It's, it's just been too cold. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that we, that we got some. So I went and I, I bought the syrup and then walked it up the hill back to where our car was. And my family went and they were doing a scavenger hunt that they had. So they were out looking at some things. And I was coming back on my own scavenger hunt, which was trying to find my family. Um, and it's not a big place and there weren't a lot of people. But for some reason, you've had this experience where you're looking for people and they're looking for you. And, and somehow you just can't find them. And so you both say, well, I'll just stand still. And if we stand still, then, then they'll find me. And so you're both standing still and no one's looking for anyone at that point, you know. And so we just kept missing each other. And, and I kept, I went into a building at least twice and walked around the place. And finally we, we found each other and, um, and it was joyous. Now it was, it was, we finally found each other. And, um, but it's just, just interesting, you know, where I'm seeking for them and they're seeking for me and my kids could care less where I'm at. They're doing the scavenger hunt. They're seeking for little strings everywhere. But, um, it, it just, it struck me thinking about this passage because in our passage today that there's a guy that's looking for Jesus and in actuality, Jesus is looking for him. And, and, and there's something amazing about that. Jesus is, is looking to find this man. And, and when he finds him, there's this amazing joy that fills the scene and an amazing change that, that comes into his life. Jesus, in fact, summarizes our passage for us in chapter 19, verse 10, the last verse of what we'll be looking at this morning, when he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I just want us to think about that truth this morning. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. What does that mean? What does that look like for, for each of us? What can we learn from this story? And how, how has Jesus sought us? How, how might we be seeking Jesus? And what happens when we find Jesus? What, what's, what's, the, what's the result of that? Or rather, what happens when Jesus finds us? Because that's ultimately what's, what's going on. I want to read Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. You'll hear this story. And then I I don't know that I have a real formal outline that you'll be able to hear, but I just want us to think through this story. Jesus tells this, or Luke tells us the story. I want to tell the story and think about some applications that we might have. But let's begin by reading here the account that Luke gives us in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. It says there, He, meaning Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry. And come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. 
He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What a great story. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We're, we're in this season of, of remembering the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And even verse 1 here in this passage reminds us that Jesus is, is going somewhere. All throughout Luke, since he said he set his face towards Jerusalem back in chapter 9, there's been this push towards Jerusalem. Jesus has a, a destiny, a place that he's going. So Jericho is not his destination. He enters into Jericho, and it says there he was passing through. That's not, that's not where he was going. He's, he's heading um, to Jerusalem. But you notice, remember back on the road into Jericho, he saw the blind beggar. That's what we looked at last week. And he sees the blind beggar, and Jesus still has time to help this man in need. And even here, as he's going to accomplish the salvation of his children, he is also seeking out lost sheep, even on that journey. I just want to take a moment and say, that not that a simple reminder for us that in our day-to-day lives, we are to be doing the work of the ministry, and we do it on the way? It may not be something that you put in your calendar, you know, at 11 o'clock I'm going to be seeking out to make disciples, but it's something that we are, that, that we are about. Remember what the Great Commission in Matthew 28 says. It says, as you go... Make disciples. It's something that we are doing throughout our, our day. It's, it's something that we are always about. We must be about the work of the ministry. We are keeping our eyes open for those who might be seeking for Jesus. Sometimes they will be blind beggars who yell at us from the side of the road who, that they need help. And sometimes they might be hiding in trees. And they don't even know what they're looking for, but they're looking for Jesus. So there's this brief introduction that gives us where Jesus is at. He's in Jericho. Um, Jericho was a, a pretty rich city. You know, probably know it from Joshua's battle. But after the walls fell down, they, they did rebuild, and it was a pretty nice place in the ancient times. But in verse 2, we meet the main character in our story, and his name is Zacchaeus. And as the story unfolds, we're going to learn more and more about who Zacchaeus was. But right at the very beginning, we see twin characteristics of him. In verse 2, he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. These are interesting in light of Luke's gospel, and I want to point that out in a moment here. But we're told that he's a a tax collector and that he is rich. Uh, One doesn't go without the other for the most part. Um, If you're a tax collector, you're probably rich. Remember how that money was earned, though. We've talked about tax collectors. So tax collectors were Jewish people, but they also collected taxes for Rome. The way that they made their money was to collect more than was necessary, then they'd skim off the rest and give Rome what they needed and keep what was theirs. And so, needless to say, people didn't really like them too much in the same way that we don't like people that take our money. Um, And that's why the Jesus Storybook Bible, one of my favorite books, uh, calls this story, The Man Who Had No Friends. None. (laughs) That's the title for the story of Zacchaeus. Because as we'll see later on, no one liked Zacchaeus. His occupation earned him money, but it didn't earn him any friends. But think on this idea that that Zacchaeus is a tax collector and he is rich. If we're paying attention to the book of Luke, this should strike us as, as unique. All the tax collectors in the book of Luke are actually placed in a very positive light. 
They are all accepted by Jesus. Jesus keeps shattering everyone's expectations about who is welcome in his kingdom. And, and nasty old tax collectors seem to always be invited to join in with him. They're never presented in a, in, a, in a negative light, even though that's how everyone in their day viewed them. What's also interesting, though, is that this tax collector, Zacchaeus, is said to be rich. Now, if we think about the context of where we're at back in chapter 18, what has Jesus said about rich people? He said that it is very difficult how hard it is for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. He says what? It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. Because riches breed self-sufficiency. If I'm rich, I don't need anyone to help me in, in any way. I've got it all figured out. So when Jesus tells us to become like little dependent children, we instead think about how strong and capable we are because we are, we are rich. And when Jesus shows us that we are blind beggars in need of mercy, we think about how well we see and how rich we really are. So we're unwilling to throw ourselves on the mercy of God. So there's this interesting contrast in Zacchaeus, that he's a tax collector, which makes us think, oh, Jesus is going to accept him. But he's also rich, and Jesus just said it's very hard for rich people to get into heaven. So what's going to happen to this guy? How's this story going to go? We see right off the bat that Zacchaeus is a little different, though, in verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He's rich, he's a tax collector, but he's also seeking Jesus. Why? This is a question I ask myself. Why is, why is Zacchaeus seeking after Jesus? You have to assume that he, that he had heard something about Jesus, maybe about who he was or the things that he had done, maybe the fact that Matthew was one of his disciples, and Matthew used to be a tax collector. And so as he's coming to the Jericho, maybe Zacchaeus wanted to see Matthew as much as he wanted to see Jesus, because a tax collector, one of, one of his own, was there following Jesus. He could have just been curious. Maybe he didn't want to miss a miracle. Jesus is going to do something amazing or teach something awesome. I want to be there. I want to see it. I want to hear it. Or maybe there's something deeper than, than curiosity going on in, in Zacchaeus' heart. You know, maybe he was getting a little tired of everyone hating him. <laughs> maybe he was tired of have, never having anyone join him and his wife for, for dinner. Maybe he was tired of the fact that, that no one was friends with his kids because they were all told, don't associate with him. He's a nasty tax collector. You know, no one ever came to Zacchaeus' house, because by coming to his house, it would be seen as approving of what he did, and no one wanted to do that. It may have been years, if you think about it, since someone had actually come to Zacchaeus' house as a guest. He had money, certainly, but it could be that, that he wanted love, that he, that he wanted a friend. Maybe he heard that Jesus was a friend of sinners, a friend of sinners and tax collectors. <laughs> I think maybe we can all relate to that longing for love, that longing for friendship. We're created. God created us for relationship for, with one another, but ultimately we're created to know and to be known by God, to be in relationship with him. It could be that loneliness is part of what drove you to Christ, or maybe it's what's drawing you to Christ even right now. And I think this passage, if anything, reveals to us again that Jesus is the friend of sinners. Those who come to him in repentance and faith, when we come to him, he says, you are no longer my servants, you are my friends. Maybe Zacchaeus 
was looking for love. He was looking for friendship. Or maybe Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus because he had begun to question if the way that he was living and making money really was right. Maybe that started to gnaw at him a little bit. He was feeling convicted about his practices. He, he, he started to see that, that people may have been right for being so angry with him. You know, his, his nice home and his, his, his beautiful clothes, maybe they didn't bring him pleasure anymore. They just reminded him of, of how he had gained all those things, and he'd done it at the expense of all of his fellow people. And being a God-fearing man, he not only wondered what other people thought, maybe he started wondering what God thought of him. Maybe Zacchaeus was getting older, and he thought, you know, I'm not going to live forever. What's going to happen? Is there going to be a day of reckoning for me that I'm going to have to answer for all these things that I have done? I think for anyone who comes to Jesus, there is that moment of seeing sin, of of recognizing that we have hurt others, and in hurting others, we have also offended a holy God, and we have to deal with that. And so we start to seek Jesus. People seek Jesus for, for many different reasons. Maybe they're looking for love and friendship, maybe because of guilt over sin, maybe fear of consequences, maybe a hunger for acceptance, all, all different kinds of reasons. But the reality is that anyone who's seeking God, is they're not actually seeking God. <laughs> because Romans 3.11 says that there's no one who seeks after God. Rather, rather God is, is seeking us. And if he awakens in us a desire, a conviction, something that moves us towards him, it's an evidence that he, in fact, is seeking after us. Because it's, it's Jesus who is seeking. This is why Jesus came. Remember, he came to seek and to save the lost. And so the fact that Zacchaeus is looking for Jesus is a sign that Jesus is looking for Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus' seeking of, of Jesus, it's, it's not half-hearted. I mean, there were obstacles to, to Zacchaeus finding Jesus, just as there are obstacles to us finding Jesus. It may be, for us, riches or, or reputation. It might be self-sufficiency. It might be self-loathing. It might be a love for sin or a love for family that's an obstacle. It could be your job. It could be a sense of security that you have that keeps you from coming to Christ. Zacchaeus probably had these kind of obstacles, but he also had a very practical one that was bound up in who he was physically. Zacchaeus was short. That's what it says right there. You don't get much description about people's physical characteristics, but this was important. It says he was small in stature. It's a nice way of saying that he was short. He was vertically challenged. You know, uh, At 6'1", I'm not abnormally tall, but I'm not short. Uh, my children are short. At least compared to me, they are short. And so sometimes I, I, I get down on my knees to try to figure out what is life like from their perspective. Uh, it, it gives me a little bit, little bit of sympathy for Jude. So, you know, Jude walks into the, the kitchen and he wants to be held or he wants to be up on a stool. And I, I think, well, why do you want that? Well, it's because, you know, he can't see the soapy water that he wants to see. He can't see the cookies on, on the cooling rack. He can't, you know, he can't see the pancakes that are on the griddle. And he, he wants to see all these things. He's curious. And so he's always asking to climb on the stool or to be held. So think about things from Zacchaeus' perspective. You know, that day Jesus came, Zacchaeus, he couldn't see anything. The streets were packed. I mean, Jesus is coming into Jericho. This was a major event. Everyone had, had staked out their spots on the parade route. They were out early, 5 a.m. They had their lawn chairs and their blankets set up right on the curb. And everyone else had to stand behind those folks that, you know, had set up already. And everyone else is, is standing there. And all that Zacchaeus can see is a, is a wall of people. Depending on how short you are, it would be a pretty terrible view, right? 
we know that Zacchaeus really wants to see Jesus, though, because he, he goes as far as to climb a tree. This is something that no self-respecting person, no person high in society would do. Imagine yourself. Would you go climb a tree to see someone else? But he, he, he thinks, you know, what, what friends do I have to lose? <laughs> what reputation do I have to keep? Everyone hates me anyways, so I'm going to climb a tree. I'm going to figure out where Jesus is at. And he climbs a sycamore tree, it says. I imagine it was a great climbing tree. I imagine it like the, the crab apple tree that was in the, the, the house that I grew up in, or, or there was a there was a tree in the park behind my grandma's house by the slide. It was just one of those trees you could jump right in, and all of a sudden you're at the top. Maybe you've got a tree like that. You can think about it, that tree that you used to climb. It was just like that. He just hopped right up in there. Before he knew it, he was at the top, and he could see the procession was, was coming down. You can see Zacchaeus up there in the leaves. He's in his trees, right in the path of Jesus. He's ready to, to watch Jesus walk past. And the text says that Jesus came to that place, and when Jesus came to the place, he stopped. And he looked up, and he locks eyes with with Zacchaeus as he's sitting up in this tree. And and so everyone's looking at Jesus, and Jesus stops, so everyone else stops. And Jesus looks up, and so what does everyone else do? Everyone else looks up. What's, What's Jesus looking at? And there, lo and behold, it's the local tax man. And he's up in a tree which is where everyone always wanted him anyways. (laughs) And they think, this is perfect. Jesus is here. He's cornered. I wonder what Jesus is going to say to him. Yeah, give it to him, Jesus. Let him have it. And what does Jesus say? He says, Zacchaeus, I've been looking for you. (laughs) He doesn't say that, but that's what he was doing, isn't it? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He was looking for Zacchaeus, just as he's looked for each of us. If you found Christ as Savior, it's because Christ found you. Maybe he's looking for you even this morning. He tells Zacchaeus, he says, hurry up. Come down. I have to stay at your house today. Now we sang a song about this when I was a kid. Maybe you know the song. It was a little kid's song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. You know this one, Zoe? And he climbed up in the sycamore tree and there's motions that go with it because for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. And this is what we did at that part. He looked up in the tree. Zacchaeus, you come down. I want to come to your house today. That was the motion. I think that's a terrible motion. That's not what Jesus did. I, I can't imagine that that... Zacchaeus, get down here right now. Like he's scolding Zacchaeus. Is that at all what's happening here? I think a better motion would be, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to go to your house today. There's a, there's a welcome that's here. He, he loves Zacchaeus. He's been, he's been looking. He's not scolding Jesus. He's, he loves him. It's not a miracle per se, but I think the fact that Jesus, that Zacchaeus didn't fall out of the tree was possibly supernatural. You know, I mean, can you imagine being in that place? Not, not to mention the fact that Jesus knew exactly where he was and knew his name. There's no indication that he had met him before, but he knows who Zacchaeus is. And he knows who you are. Suddenly Zacchaeus finds himself obeying Jesus. He, he climbs down out of the tree. The text says he received him joyfully into his home. I think we're kind of pushed forward here into the scene of Jesus entering into Zacchaeus' house. And I let my imagination go a little bit. Maybe Zacchaeus had a wife. And he comes in the door and he says to her, Honey, Jesus is here. <laughs> Well, she's looking in the cupboard at that moment, so her view is obstructed, and she says, Ha ha, Zacchaeus, taking up stand-up comedy with your tax-collecting 
like Jesus would ever come to our house. <laughs> I mean, you're the stench of this city. There's no way that Jesus would be caught dead here. He would never... And then the cupboard door closes and she sees Jesus standing there. And she knows it's Jesus. Because when you see Jesus, you know it's, it's Jesus. And so she receives him joyfully. I think it's a wonderful thing that it says that. He received him joyfully. That, that the receiving of Jesus is, is accompanied by joy. I think so often people think about the presence of Jesus and that it's a downer. That Jesus is a party pooper. <laughs> but the New Testament actually shows us that Jesus is the party thrower. We saw back in Luke 15 that nothing makes Jesus rejoice more than, than him seeking and finding lost Sinners. That's, that brings joy to his heart. And it says in Luke 15 that all of heaven rejoices when lost sinners are found. What do you think about the entrance of Jesus into your life? Or even the presence of Jesus in your life? The entrance of Jesus into your home, into your life, is that a cause for rejoicing for you? Because it should be. It's a cause for rejoicing. We'll see that there's, there's changes that are going to happen in Zacchaeus' life. This isn't just all simple. Zacchaeus' life is going to make a 180 degree turn, but it's, it's for the better. And, and there is joy in following Christ. So when Jesus says, I want to dwell with you, and if Jesus has said to you, I want to dwell, that's cause for rejoicing. It should fill us with joy. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus has found us, our lives should be marked by rejoicing. In fact, the only people that are sad in this text are the they, whoever they are. Isn't that what it says? It doesn't even tell us who they are. We don't know that it's, we would assume it's the Pharisees, but it doesn't even say that. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. They obviously thought that this was a bad idea, that this was not what Jesus was supposed to do, that Jesus had missed the opportunity to, to meet with someone who was truly respected, some of the truly worthy people of Jericho. Jesus obviously came for the straight-laced and the well-respected, the cleaned-up and the righteous ones. Well, not really. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He says on another occasion, it's not, it's not the healthy people that need a physician. It's the sick. I, I came to call sinners. Not, I, I, came, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, sin is a disease. It is a sickness. And it affects us all, and every case of sin is terminal. It always brings death, and we are all sinners. And, and the they here, these, these they who saw it, they seem to think that it's a bad thing that Jesus goes to a sinner's house. That that's something that he shouldn't do. But the fact that Jesus went to a sinner's house is the greatest news in the world, isn't it? Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house? Maybe he'll come to my house. That should be a reminder that, that we don't have to have it all together to be rescued from our sins. Not to be cleaned up for Jesus to come into your house. He's seeking you. We've seen this many times in Luke 18 and 19, and I just want to remind us once again that we need to be careful that we are not withholding grace, that we are not keeping the gospel from the people that Jesus wants to take it to. Let's remember that anyone who comes to Jesus must come as a little child. That's how we all have to come to Jesus, every single one of us. If we're going to come to Jesus, we have to come like blind beggars who are begging for sight. If we want to come to Jesus, we have to come like friendless tax collectors who are up a tree. And we're there until Jesus says, come down. I want to have dinner with you. You know, if this is what Jesus did, I think it's what we should do. 
I think it should often be said of us as a church and as an individual, they're welcoming sinners as guests. (laughs) Wouldn't that be a good thing for people to say about us? If they said about you, hey, look at that guy. He says he's a Christian, but he's eating with that person who obviously isn't a Christian. The rest of the scripture can help us to understand where we need to be cautious on this, okay? But I think it's a truth that we should probably be inviting our neighbors over for dinner more often and talking to them about who Christ is around a meal. I think we should probably go to that party that we're invited to that we might be a little uncomfortable going to because we're not sure what's going to happen at that party, but we should go and try to be the light of Christ. Yes, there are cautions that we need to take, but Jesus was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton, (laughs) of always eating with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. What about us? Has anyone accused you of that lately? I don't want you to get drunk. I don't want you to be a glutton. And neither does Jesus. (laughs) But we should be the friend of sinners. How else are we going to tell them about Christ? So when Jesus comes to our house, though, he he cleans house. He he shows up and he doesn't just sit down and do nothing. He, He comes and he's seeking to save sinners. And when Jesus saves us, we are, we are totally changed. The text doesn't say it, but I assume it from verse 8, that there's repentance that's going on in Zacchaeus' home. He has this encounter with, with, with Jesus, and he sees his sin. He recognizes and he desires to turn from it. He's come to see this, this need to change. He's confronted with Christ. He's, he, he sees it. So he says, I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor. And then he says, and if I've defrauded anyone, which he certainly had, I'm going to restore it four times. So if he'd robbed someone of $100, what's he going to give them? $400. You can do the math, and he probably had robbed people of a lot more than that, and he's going to restore it four times. And Jesus, in response, says what? He says, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Why does Jesus say that? Did the actions of Zacchaeus save him? Was it his good deeds that earned him salvation? I want to be very clear. No, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think scripture is clear that all our good deeds before God are like filthy rags. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. We are rescued from our sin and the consequences of our sin when we repent, when we turn from sin and when we trust in what Christ has done. We put our hope not in what we do, but in what Christ has done, that Jesus has been perfect when we could not, that Jesus has died and taken the penalty for our sins, which is death. I think that faith is the emphasis here. And I even see it in that phrase, since he also is a son of Abraham. I don't think the point is physical lineage. He's saved. He also is a son of Abraham in the sense he is Jewish. But what does Paul say? Who are the sons of Abraham? They are those who live by faith. All we who are children of Abraham are children because we live by faith. And I think that's what Zacchaeus is. He is a son of Abraham because he is walking by faith in Christ. The deeds of Zacchaeus then are what? They are the fruit of true repentance. They're the sign that he really has been changed. They're the evidence of the genuineness of his faith. So he has encountered the grace of God, extended to him, a miserable sinner. And so, therefore, he sees his sin, he sees how he's failed, and he only wants, he wants to turn from his sin. Not only does he want to turn from his sin, he wants to make restitution. 
That's what true repentance does. True repentance wants to make restitution and reconciliation with those that it's harmed. If we are truly repentant, if we're truly for sorry, for sorry for our sin, we're going to do something about it. We're going to put some feet and some hands to that repentance. True repentance also directly affects our money and possessions. <laughs> Luke keeps hitting that over and over again. He's talking about money. And he's saying, if you have turned to Christ, it's going to change the way that you think about money. You're not going to hold on to it. You're going to freely give it. Can I make a comparison to the rich young ruler again? We did that with the blind beggar, and I think it's here again. I think the rich young ruler is central to understanding this whole thing. But think about Zacchaeus as compared to the rich young ruler, okay? So the rich young ruler is respected by society. Zacchaeus is hated by everyone. The rich young ruler is rich. Zacchaeus is rich. Interesting. They're the same in that. Now, this guy probably earned his wealth honestly. Zacchaeus, not so honestly. The, the rich young ruler, what's he do when he's confronted with this, this call of Christ, when Jesus enters his life and calls him to repentance? He walks away sad. What happens with Zacchaeus? He rejoices at the entrance of Jesus into his life. The rich young ruler is asked to sell everything that he has and give it to the poor. As far as we know, Zacchaeus is never asked to do anything but out of the joy that has happened in his life because of his faith in Christ, he sells half of his goods and gives them to the poor and then makes restitution. The rich young ruler shows how hard it is for a self-reliant rich person to get into heaven. But Zacchaeus shows us that with God, all things are possible. And even some nasty rich tax collector can get into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. You know, this account is only found in the book of Luke. And whenever I find that, I always think, I wonder if Luke met Zacchaeus. Because you remember at the beginning, he says, I made careful searches and inquiries to figure out these things. And I just wonder if, if Luke came across Zacchaeus. Because, in fact, church history tells us this. I don't know this for sure. But church history tells us that Zacchaeus dropped the whole tax collecting gig. And you know what happened to him? He became a bishop in Caesarea. He became a pastor. Pastor Zacchaeus. What an amazing thing. Can you imagine Luke sitting down and talking with Zacchaeus and hearing this story? You can hear the parts where he'd laugh and the parts where he would shake his head in wonder. Just amazing to think about that. You might say something like, you know, I thought I was looking for Jesus that day, but he was looking for me. And he found me. (laughs) And he changed my whole life. He can change our lives. When Jesus finds us, He does change everything. There's an emphasis, though, on the word today here in this passage. I just want to point this out as we move to the close and move into the Lord's Supper. But it says there, Today, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house when? Today, verse 5. And then later on in verse 9, Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house. We often put things off till tomorrow. But Jesus is all about today. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. There's this emphasis on on now. It's a call to action now. And so what should our response be to this story of, of Zacchaeus? Let me give you a few thoughts. One would be to rejoice. 
I think Zacchaeus is just filled with joy that Jesus has sought him out as a sinner. And so much of that is rooted in the fact that he sees how unworthy he is. He sees how far up a tree he is with his sin. And the fact that Jesus comes into his home and accepts him causes him just to rejoice. I think we should also repent. When we're confronted with the person of Christ, we turn from sin, just as as Zacchaeus did. And not simply repent, but to make restitution. Maybe we need to pause and think about that. I'm willing to repent from my sin. Is there restitution that I need to make? Not, Not to earn my salvation, but just because that's the fruit of true repentance. That I need to make something right with someone else. And there needs to be something that I need to do as a fruit of this true repentance. Another thing is just to think about this idea of let, let's, let's welcome Jesus into our lives and let him do whatever he wants. Jesus walks into Zacchaeus' house and he turns his life completely upside down. Are, are we willing to do that? What does it look like for Jesus to enter your life, to come in relationship with you and to totally flip everything upside down? Are we, are we ready, ready to follow him in that way? I think this segues well as we think about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a great reminder of the truth of this passage, which is Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And our salvation is possible only because of his death and resurrection, that the way he has sought us is through his death and his resurrection, through his broken body and through his shed blood.